you to common ground if you're watching. You know, <laughs> sometimes the Holy Spirit works, and, and I've been praying, we've been praying that God will show up in your house uh, and be there with you as we look at this together. And, and as I was sitting here right now, you know, God is already moving my mind and adjusting me. I, I ask for God to give me what He wants to say through His Word. Now, at, at common ground, we have a passion. And part of our passion is that we want to be part of a movement of God. We are very um, ag against the idea of just being religious. We don't want to just come to church, uh, be good people, give to the church, grow. Our, those things make us a little bit sick to the stomach if that's it. We need to worship together. We're called to worship together, but we desperately want to be part of a movement of God. If you noticed a theme through these songs, as I was the only one in the row sitting over there, uh, standing up and, and worshiping and praying and listening to those words, we want to be part of a movement. God is still moving, and throughout Scripture, we see God moving, and He is still moving. It's not as if He has stopped. He still is, and you see the theme in Scripture that God moves through His people not around them. Now grab your Bible, turn to Nehemiah. Nehemiah is in the Old Testament. Use your table of contents if you need. That's no big deal. But in the book of Nehemiah, we are witnessing God work through normal people. The reason we're going through this book, and the reason I love this book, is that it's really a leadership guide, but it's also a guide for us normal people. Uh, you read in the book of Exodus, and other books, and in the New Testament, you see Jesus and the, the disciples, and you see miracles happening during those times. Now, realistically, as you look through Scripture, you know, big miracles only happened a handful of times in history. Most of the time, God works through normal people, not through great miraculous events, and that's what we see in Nehemiah, and we see a pattern of how to be used by God to accomplish great things, because that's our heart. As a church, our heart is that God will use us to change this city, this nation, and the world. Not just common ground, but as part of God's church as a whole. And for that to happen, we as individuals are part of that. And so how can we as individuals also be part of what God wants to do? Now here's a question. How many people does it take for God to accomplish something great that he wants to do? How many people? As you, again, we've been praying for a holy discontent which is a vision for something that is not right, uh, not in line with God's word and God's heart, and, and that we want to see change. We have a vision of what could be and what should be. That's our holy discontent. And if you have one, how many people would it take to get that done, to move toward that, for God to accomplish something great? I would say one. One person. It, what is your holy discontent? Maybe it's for your family, for your kids to be thriving in Jesus. Whatever it is, how many people does it take to start seeing that happen? One person. Our first week, two weeks ago, we looked at 2 Corinthians 16, 9 that says, The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth so that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. And we asked, what if that's true? What if God is scanning the earth looking for a heart that's fully his that he can use, that he can put all his support behind to accomplish his purposes? Now, as you look throughout history, biblically, in Scripture, and in the world, and you see people that God has used to do great things, you know, he scanned and he found one, there is something unique about every single one of those, something they all have in common. Now, if you knew, maybe you have that holy discontent in your mind, 
if you knew that you could do this one thing and God might use you to do great things, would you do this one thing? Would you do this one thing? What is that one thing? The one thing that all these have in common that you can do too. That one thing is prayer. It begins with prayer. Charles Spurgeon says this, prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence. So we begin asking, how is your prayer life? How is your prayer life? If you want to be used greatly by God to, to overcome sin in your own, your own life, uh, to see your family, your marriages thriving, pursuing God, and then these things in society, in the church, whatever it is that God puts in your heart, how can we see those things changed? How can we see God at work? Prayer, it begins in prayer. And Nehemiah, here in chapter one, Nehemiah chapter one, all the verses today that we're looking at, uh, verses 4 through 11, it's all a prayer. We're seeing Nehemiah pray. So how can God use this for great things? Last week, in verses 1 through 4, we began with the idea that it begins with a dislocated heart. Nehemiah was a, a godly individual, part of the Jewish nation, part of the Israelites, God's chosen people, and he had a heart for God. He was comfortable in uh, a place called Susa, uh, serving the Persian king. He was the wine taster. So he was very comfortable, a high official. He had great clothes. As we said last week, he's probably got his Mercedes uh, and his Audi and his Gucci suits, whatever those are. He had all the stuff and he was comfortable. But he had a dislocated heart. And so if we want to be used by God like Nehemiah, it begins with a dislocated heart. His heart was for God's kingdom. His heart was for what God was doing, not for the comforts he had in this world. And we're the same. We are exiles in this world. We are on this earth currently, but we don't belong to this world. We belong to God's kingdom. And so it begins with a dislocated heart, seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And again, look at 2 Corinthians 16, 9. What if this was true? The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth so that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Now, here's the thing. We, we're looking at Nehemiah, and in the book of Nehemiah, he's, he's in a foreign land, but he gets a heart for Jerusalem. He hears in, in verses 1 through 4 uh, that the walls are in ruins, and he gets this in his mind that that needs to be fixed. Something needs to happen. Now, here's a cool little prophecy that came from Ezekiel about 100 years before this. Ezekiel was a prophet, but he was in Babylon prophesying to God's people in exile, and he said this, and he's speaking for God. He says, And I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Do you hear that? So, so God had been looking for a heart to strongly support, and he has specifically been looking for someone to stand in the breach. And the picture there is of this wall torn down. And he wants somebody to go stand in that breach in the wall, the hole in the wall. Stand there and beseech God for the nation, for Jerusalem, for the people of Israel. But he couldn't find anyone. How heartbreaking is that? What if right now God has some things on his heart, and he does, for our city, for your family, for our nation, for, for certain people, maybe say it's widows, single mothers, orphan kids. We can go on and on with this list, addictions. And what if God is looking at that and saying, I am waiting for somebody to stand in the breach for that group. And what if he's waiting for you? What if he put it on your heart and you're the one that God wants to use? What if Common Ground Church 
is one that God wants to use. Maybe you're not part of Common Ground. That's the cool thing about this, this online thing. What if you live somewhere else and God wants to use you in your local church there to do something? What if he's waiting for somebody to stand in the breach? Let's look at Nehemiah 1, 4 through 11, and we're going to see the second uh, theme, the second point. The first is a dislocated heart. That was last week. This week, we're going to see a broken spirit. Nehemiah 1, starting in verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power, by your strong hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. God, I just want to lift this up to you one more time and ask you, teach us through this example, this prayer that Nehemiah prays, a man who was humble before you, a man who desired for you to do great things, and you did. We want to be like Nehemiah. We want to see you do great things in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our community, in our nation. We want to be used. As others said here in Scripture, and we see that elsewhere, where they looked at you and they said, here I am, send me, we say that now. And in our homes, as we're watching this and we're praying together, we say, here we are, send us. Right now we're at home, but still, we, we are sent. And when this is done, we're going to be going back into our, our schools, our workplaces, our, our play places. We're going back. Here we are, send us. So here we see a broken spirit. And a broken spirit is one that is completely dependent on God. And how does a broken spirit reveal itself? Through prayer. God in his sovereignty has chosen to work through the prayers of his people. Isn't that strange? But it's true. God in his sovereignty has chosen to work through the prayers of his people. So, specifically, how does Nehemiah pray? We're going to see this, but here's a, a, a quote that I find helpful. Uh, John Franklin says that God doesn't answer prayer. He answers you. No amount of education, mastering a formula, or learning a certain skill set determines spiritual power in a prayer meeting. Rather, God moves based on the hearts of the people praying. Here's why I like that quote. Sometimes we think prayer is their magic words. And we have to get all the words right for God to move. But really, God is looking for the, the heart, the heart that will pray. And our hearts can be, our hearts can be good, but our words, can, we can stumble over those. But guess what? God knows our heart. 
And so here, we're going to see a heart that prays and how he prays. And what do we see first? Well, this is helpful. Uh, at the very beginning, Nehemiah 1, um, in the uh, verse 1, it says, In the month of Chislev, that's probably November, December. So that's when he got word of what was happening in Jerusalem. That's when his heart was broken. That's when he started to pray and fast. But when did he do something about it? Well, we see here um, in the verses we're looking at uh, in the month of Nisan. Actually, this is in, in chapter 2, verse 1, before he takes steps. It says, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. This had been four months. So here's the first point. He heard it, his heart was broken, and he began to pray and fast for four months. And as we go through the book, we're going to see what he was doing in those four months. But mainly, he was praying and fasting. He showed patience. This is your, one of your notes. If you're a note taker, you can do that on our app. It says, to be used by God, we must be patient in prayer. My goodness, isn't that convicting to us as Americans? You know, where, where we have Amazon Prime and we're like, boop, 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 ding dong, and there's whatever it is. We need to be patient in prayer. First, a dislocated heart. We want what God wants. We're committed to him. And then we pray for that to happen and we're patient. Sometimes we want to just jump in. That's the way I am. I, I see a problem. Let's go fix it. Kind of like uh, if you're married, men, this is probably us. Your wife shares something and, and, and she just wants you to listen and we just want to fix it. You know, we want to jump in and fix it. Here, Nehemiah doesn't jump in to fix it right away. He's willing. And we'll see that he is willing and God will use him. But he begins by being patient in prayer. But now let's look at his prayer. Look at verse 5. How does he begin? He says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. He begins by exalting God. Effective prayer begins with exalting God. Lifting his up. How often do we go to prayer and we just have our list of wants and needs and asks? Rather than beginning with an accurate view of God, of exalting God for who he is. Remember uh, when the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And, and we see this in Matthew chapter 5. But, but he says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's the way that prayer begins. That's the way Nehemiah's prayer begins. Hallowed be your name. How great are you, God? Do you begin your prayers that way? This changed my prayer life years ago when I was studying the Lord's Prayer and I began to start to pray this way. And I don't always pray this way, but when I do, my prayer is different because I begin with God, here's who you are. And when we have an accurate view of him, then we have an accurate view of ourself. And rather than coming with just our wants, then he aligns our desires with him. And then we start praying for what he wants. That's why we lift him up. How do you do this? Begin by just telling God the great things you know about him. They don't have to be many. God, you are creator. You are sustainer. Your creation is beautiful. You are the lover of mankind. You sent your son just stating the thing that, things that he has done. So we pray by lifting him up. Again, perspective. But then he moves in verse 6. He says, let your ear be open. And he goes on. Uh, I pray day and night, I and my father's house. This is end of verse 6. It says, I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you, have not, uh, have not kept the commandments, the statutes. And he goes on, confession. Here's the second one. Confession of sin. In our prayers, we acknowledge God as great, 
And then we acknowledge our sinfulness and we confess that sin. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Confession needs to be part of our prayers. Again, a broken spirit prays because it knows how great God is and we look in the mirror and we see our sinfulness and we're broken by that, so we confess it. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who conceals a transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes it will find compassion. Do we confess sins? And it's interesting here, he uses the word we. He, he said, I, I and my father's house have sinned, and we as a nation have sinned. Now again, that nation was God's people. Now, God's people is no longer the nation Israel, it is the church. All believers throughout the world, and it is okay for us, and I think necessary, for us at times to confess the sins of the church. You know, here in America, our, our apathy at times, uh, our focus on materialism, our focus on, on our church here at Common Ground, we call that a castle over kingdom. We want to be focused on the kingdom, his big church, not just our castle, not just our church. And so we confess these sins, and when we've been part of that, and we give it to him and we repent. And we want him to change the church. We want, we want him to change us. So we see here then, after confession. Now, real quick, sometimes we have prayer meetings. And when we talk about prayer, we'll talk about the acts of prayer. Just a pattern, A-C-T-S. And if you haven't done that, it's helpful. Uh, a, adore. Again, lifting how great he is. Uh, C, confess. T, thanksgiving. Uh, sometimes it's hard to separate adoration from thanksgiving and that's okay um, but as we adore we thank him for who he is and then finally it goes to supplication supplication meaning we bring our requests to him and as we look at his supplications nehemiah's supplications what do you notice about his supplications he starts in verse 9 you know remember the word that you commanded your servant moses and he goes on and he recounts to God what God had said before in Scripture. He recounts, remember God, you said if we sin, we'll be exiled. And then you said if we repent and turn to you, you'll restore us. He said, remember that, God. Why is this so important? Nehemiah is praying to God, asking God to do what God has already said he wants to do. So for us, how do we pray this way? God will use those who are willing to serve God to accomplish what God has already said he wants to do. That's really helpful. Again, are, are you praying for your business to thrive? That's okay. But, but there's greater things than that. Are you praying for your own uh, financial independence or whatever it is? That's good. We should pray for those things. But do we pray for those things that we know God wants to do? And how do we do that? We learn God's promises and desires in Scripture. And as we put him first, as we seek his kingdom, as we read his word, we get a feel for his heart. And he changes our heart to be in line with him. And then we pray that those things will be done. You know, in this series, one of the themes as we're going to be going through this over the next weeks is what is God's will for your life? Well, God's will for us, you know, there is a specific will at times that God would want us to do, but it begins with his general will revealed in scripture those things that he stated these are the things that i want he says this is the will of god your sanctification meaning one of god's great desires for you his will is that you become more like jesus in holiness in purity in love and so as we look at his will we see what he wants matthew 28 uh, the great commission 
Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you to the end of the age. So God desires us to go make disciples, meaning be a witness. That's God's will for you. That's his specific will, that you share your faith with others, that, that we baptize, that we grow in him, we teach what God would do. God's will is that we seek first his kingdom, and he'll provide the things that we need. God's will, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Meaning if we are passionate about him building his church, meaning people coming to know him and living with him and spreading that, that's what he wants to accomplish. And many, many, many more do we pray for God to do these things. Do we pray for that? Or are our prayers self-centered? You know, I'll be honest, at times I'm guilty of this, uh, praying for comfort, uh, praying that we will avoid problems, those things where God might use us to grow our faith and to glorify Him. Sometimes these prayers need to change and adjust. And again, we're calling this a broken spirit. A broken spirit is one humbly dependent on God to do what God wants to do. So He will change our desires, our agendas to His. For me... This is, often I have to say this, it's not about me. It's not about me. Or look in the mirror and say, Derek, get over yourself. You know, when I want these things and it's all about me, the selfishness, it's not about me. Get over yourself. Nehemiah was comfortable in Susa. The cupbearer to the king, he had all the luxuries. But he said, it's not about me. And his heart was broken for what broke God's heart. And he went to God in prayer. Psalm 51, 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. This broken spirit is one that is humble before him. What's the opposite of a broken spirit? Pride. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Listen, God is seeking for a heart fully his that he can support. That's a humble heart. But he opposes the proud. So when we go to prayer and it's all about us and we lift ourselves up and we're judging others, God's not going to answer those, those prayers. He's not seeing that going, I want to support that. He's looking for the broken spirit. A broken spirit has to do with an absolute sense of dependence on and total need for God. You hear that? An absolute sense of dependence and a total need for God. So what does he do? He prays for four months. He fasts and he prays and he prays often. You know, fasting here uh, is part of that denying yourself for what would honor God. Uh, fasting is helpful when listening to God. Some of us are doing that right now, fasting one day a week, asking God to show us what he wants to do, to stir our hearts for what stirs his hearts. Ezekiel 22.30 where he said, I, and I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Again, he's looking for hearts that will stand in the breach, and we begin by standing in the breach with prayer. What is God stirring your heart? What is it? Begin with prayer. And then be willing to say, here I am, send me. But God uses it, beginning with one person. He did it with Moses. Psalm 106, 23 reminds us of what Moses did. It says, therefore he said he would destroy them, meaning God was going to destroy the nation of Israel for their disobedience, for their idolatry. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him 
to turn away his wrath from destroying them. One person getting on their knees in prayer before God, begging him to work in whatever it is. God will honor those prayers. And it, it doesn't, it never stays with one. We're going to see that as we go through Nehemiah. It can start with one, but then it expands to others to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. So here's my question that we finish with. What breaks your heart? Do you have a holy discontent? Is there something that you look at and you say, this is not the way it should be, and you get a vision of, of what should be and what could be, and you begin with prayer? If you don't have that holy discontent, begin by just praying for God to stir your heart. Ask God to change your heart to be in line with His. And then, are you willing to stand in the gap with prayer and fasting to ask God to intervene? He's looking. We want to be used. God is going to use us, and God's going to use us as individuals and as a church. And we are excited to see what he will do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask you right now, <laughs> I, I'm going to stand in the gap for your church and ask you to move. You said you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail. We look around, there is so much pain right now. There, there, is, there is depression. There is loneliness. God, even us in the church are feeling disconnected. We ask you to move. Holy Spirit, comfort those who need it. God, for those single moms struggling through, God, show up for them. Send people. Send us to help them. God, for those kids that need homes, our lack of foster homes, those orphans, God, use us. Uh, raise up your people to stand in the gap for those kids to serve them. For the widows. We could go down the list. God, those things on your heart, please place them on our heart. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. Make us uncomfortable with the situation to the point that we will pray and fast for you to move. And then we do say, here we are, send us. And we'll be patient. God, we're asking you to bring a speedy end to this quarantine. But do you want to accomplish something right now in this through us? Here we are, send us. Let us see. We'll go. We're ready. Grow your church, not just common ground, but throughout Carson City, uh, Carson Valley. Grow your church, all the gospel-centered churches. Let this be a time where the lost find you. In Jesus' name, amen.